Section 9 of The Court and Character of King James, whereunto is now added The Court of King Charles, by Anthony Weldon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Character of King James This king's character is much easier to take than his picture, for he could never be brought to sit for the taking of that, which is the reason of so few good pieces of him. But his character was obvious to every eye. He was of a middle stature, more corpulent through his clothes than in his body, yet fat enough, his clothes ever being made large and easy, the doublets quilted for stiletto-proof, his breeches in great pleats and full stuffed. He was naturally of a timorous disposition, which was the reason of his quilted doublets, his eyes large, ever rolling after any stranger came in his presence, insomuch as many for shame have left the room as being out of countenance. His beard was very thin, his tongue too large for his mouth, which ever made him speak full in the mouth, and made him drink very uncomely, as if eating his drink, which came out into the cup of each side of his mouth. His skin was as soft as taffeta sarsnip, which felt so because he never washed his hands, only rubbed his fingers' ends slightly with the wet end of a napkin. His legs were very weak having had, as was thought, some foul play in his youth, or rather before he was born, that he was not able to stand at seven years of age. That weakness made him ever leaning on other men's shoulders, his walk was ever circular, his fingers ever in that walk sidling about his codpiece. He was very temperate in his exercises and in his diet, and not intemperate in his drinking. However, in his old age, and Buckingham's jovial suppers, when he had any turn to do with him, made him sometimes overtaken, which he would the very next day remember and repent with tears. It is true he drank very often, which was rather out of a custom than any delight, and his drinks were of that kind for strength, as from Tiniac, Canary, High Country Wine, Tent Wine, and Scottish Ale, that had he not had a very strong brain, might have daily been overtaken, although he seldom drank at any one time above four spoonfuls many times not above one or two. He was very constant in all things, his favourites excepted, in which he loved change, yet never cast down any he once raised from the height of greatness, though from their wonted nearness and privacy, unless by their own default by opposing his change, as in Somerset's case. Yet had he not been in that foul poisoning business and so cast down himself, I do verily believe not him neither. For all his other favourites he left great in honour, great in fortune, and did much love Montgomery, and trusted him more at the very last gasp than at the first minute of his favouriteship. In his diet, apparel, and journeys he was very constant, in his apparel so constant as by his good will he would never change his clothes until worn out to very rags, his fashion never, insomuch as one bringing to him a hat of a Spanish block, he cast it from him, swearing he neither loved them nor their fashions. Another time, bringing him roses on his shoes, he asked if they would make him a rough-footed dove. One yard of sixpenny ribbon served that turn. His diet and journeys was so constant that the best observing courtier of our time was wont to say, were he asleep seven years and then awakened, he would tell where the king every day had been and every dish he had had at his table. He was not very uxorious, 
though he had a very brave queen that never crossed his designs nor intermeddled with state affairs but ever complied with him even against the nature of any but of a mild spirit in the change of favourites for he was ever best when furthest from his queen and that was thought to be the first grounds of his often removes which afterwards proved habitual he was unfortunate in the marriage of his daughter and so was all christendom besides but sure the daughter was more unfortunate in a father than he in a daughter he naturally loved not the sight of a soldier nor of any valiant man and it was an observation that sir robert mansell was the only valiant man he ever loved and him he loved so entirely that for all buckingham's greatness with the king and his hatred of sir robert mansell yet could not that alienate the king's affections from him insomuch as when by the instigation of cottington then ambassador in spain by buckingham's procurement the spanish ambassador came with a great complaint against sir robert mansell then at algiers to suppress the pirates that he did support them having never a friend there though many that durst speak in his defence the king himself defended him in these words my lord ambassador i cannot believe this for i made my choice myself of him out of these reasons i know him to be valiant honest and nobly descended as most in my kingdom and will never believe a man thus qualified will do so base an act he naturally loved honest men that were not overactive yet never loved any man heartily until he had bound him under him by giving him some suit which he thought bound the other's love to him again but that argued a poor disposition in him to believe that anything but a noble mind seasoned with virtue could make any firm love or union for mercenary minds are carried away with a greater prize but noble minds alienated with nothing but public disgraces he was very witty and had as many ready witty jests as any man living at which he would not smile himself but deliver them in a grave and serious manner he was very liberal of what he had not in his own grip and would rather part with a hundred pounds he never had in his keeping than one twenty shillings piece within his own custody he spent much and had much use of his subjects purses which bred some clashings with them in parliament yet would always come off and end with a sweet and plausible close and truly his bounty was not discommendable for his raising favourites was the worst rewarding old servants and relieving his native countrymen was infinitely more to be commended in him than condemned his sending ambassadors were no less chargeable than dishonourable and unprofitable to him and his whole kingdom for he was ever abused in all negotiations yet he had rather spend a hundred thousand pounds on embassies to keep or procure peace with dishonour than ten thousand pounds on an army that would have forced peace with honour he loved good laws and had many made in his time and in his last parliament for the good of his subjects in suppressing promoters and progging fellows gave way to that nullum tempus etc to be consigned to sixty years which was more beneficial to the subjects in respect of their quiets than all the parliaments had given him during his whole reign by his frequenting sermons he appeared religious yet his tuesday sermons if you will believe his own countrymen that lived in those times when they were erected and well understood the cause of erecting them 
were dedicated for a strange piece of devotion. He would make a great deal too bold with God in his passion, both in cursing and swearing, and one strain higher verging on blasphemy, but would in his better temper say he hoped God would not impute them as sins and lay them to his charge, seeing they proceeded from passion. He had need a great assurance rather than hopes that would make Daly so bold with God. He was very crafty and cunning in petty things, as the circumventing any great man, the change of a favourite, etc., insomuch as a very wise man was wont to say he believed him the wisest fool in Christendom, meaning him wise in small things, but a fool in weighty affairs. He ever desired to prefer mean men in great places, that when he turned them out again they should have no friend to bandy with them. And besides, they were so hated by being raised from a mean estate to overtop all men, that everyone held it a pretty recreation to have them often turned out. There were living in this king's time, at one instant, two treasurers, three secretaries, two lord keepers, two admirals, three lord chief justices, yet but one in play. Therefore this king had a pretty faculty in putting out and in. By this you may perceive in what his wisdom consisted. But in great and weighty affairs, even at his wit's end. He had a trick to cousin himself with bargains underhand by taking a thousand pounds or ten thousand pounds as a bribe, when his council was treating with his customers to raise them to so much more yearly. This went into his privy purse, wherein he thought he had overreached the lords, but cousined himself. But would as easily break the bargain upon the next offer, saying he was mistaken and deceived, and therefore no reason he should keep the bargain. This was often the case with the farmers of the customs. He was infinitely inclined to peace, but more out of fear than conscience, and this was the greatest blemish this king had through all his reign, otherwise might have been ranked with the very best of our kings. Yet sometimes would he show pretty flashes of valour, which might easily be discerned to be forced, not natural, and being forced, could have wished rather it would have recoiled back into himself than carried to that king it had concern, lest he might have been put to the trial to maintain his seeming valour. In a word he was take him altogether and not in pieces, such a king, I wish this kingdom have never any worse, on the condition, not any better. For he lived in peace, died in peace, and left all his kingdoms in a peaceable condition, with his own motto, Beati Pacifici. End of section 9